Hello, everybody. I'm Pat Mulroy, and thank you for listening to our podcast. We do this every day. I'm the supervisor of the World of Learning Institute, and we provide virtual world language instruction and other courses like calculus and chemistry when it's difficult for a school or district to find a teacher. We're here to talk to you about the conferences we've been at. We don't do that every day, but it does help us to learn and grow and make virtual learning authentic, relevant, and engaging. And if you'd like to have more information about what we do or just have a conversation with me, you can reach me at P. Mulroy, that's P-M-U-L-R-O-Y, at worldoflearninginstitute.com. So today I have Olivia Grugan. You all have met Olivia numerous times if you're a regular listener to our podcast. And Olivia was out and about traveling um, in November and she had a lot of new learning and I'm sure things that she's thinking about as we um, navigate all the projects we're doing at the World of Learning. So Olivia, welcome today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and tell everybody what you've been up to. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, I, I guess the fall is conference season for those of us fortunate and privileged enough to attend a few. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to go to three conferences this fall. So I'll just name them in case there's anyone listening to who might have some connections. Um, the first was NREA, which is the National Rural Educators Association. And that conference was held in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So that was my first time. Mm-hmm. I think it was my first time in Wisconsin. It was certainly my first time in Green Bay. Um the second conference, so all three of these were national too, so they were big. Okay. Um, and, but the the neat thing about that is that they also gave me an impression of like that organization as a whole. Because sometimes at the state level, I think you get the flavor of your region or your state, but this sort of gave me a, a bigger sense. So the second one was ACTFL, which is the American Council for the Teaching of Foreign Languages, although I think now it's actually just ACTFL um, without that. Yeah, it's kind of good to have a reference though for people who aren't world yes. language folks to know that. It is a, about modern and other Just lang- yeah, languages. About languages. Yeah. yeah. Just about languages. So that was in Boston um, this year. And that's that's usually somewhere between six and eight thousand language educators, mostly teachers, I would say. NREA was lots of school district leaders, um, or I should say administrators. And then the third one was AESA, which is the Association of Educational Service Agencies. So that one was right within our, so we as an intermediate unit in Pennsylvania are an educational service agency and each state, because education, of course, is sort of controlled at the state level. Every state has their own way of doing it and calling it. Sometimes it's by the county, but every state, I think, has some way of organizing their public education system at a level that's smaller than the state, but that's larger than the district. And so this was those kind of middle level people gathering in Atlanta, Georgia. Right, right. And they're generally service agencies because they're serving, you know, a region or an area, you know, most frequently in professional learning, bus services, sometimes um, special education, Mm -hmm. classes and all that interesting entrepreneurial stuff that um trying to it's really um the i I see service agencies as crowdsourcing a little bit you know Mm -hmm. take the larger the larger region of people and say hey what do you need and how can we make this more affordable Mm -hmm. and um yeah lauren was saying the same thing it's about it being so service oriented you know so anyway so it's really great so um 
do you want to go in order here as you talk about these conferences or are there some themes that struck you um what was maybe well i think a one i'll start with a theme and then maybe in order i um as a conference goer you know it's only in this job and only a couple years ago that i started attending any kind of educational or any conferences at at all and it's just an interesting set of questions you ask yourself before you go about like what your approach is going to be and what you're trying to get from it and i think you're always trying to gather ideas right but i think when i first started attending conferences a couple years ago and before covid I was really just thinking on the idea level and I came back just overflowing with this like bag of all these things that people had shared. And I went to every possible session and sometimes I would go to two, like I'd schedule it out so that I could hear the beginning of this one and then run to the set, you know, the end of that one. And I think that I still come back with ideas, but I think I've shifted a little bit towards looking for certain people and relationships too. And that's just part of like being in any given position for longer than, than a year or two and starting to have some people whose work, maybe that's a one-way relationship kind of thing. I guess that's not relationship where I know them, like I've read their work, I've read their book and I would like to go see or hear them or maybe meet them. Um, but in a lot of cases, it is two ways. It's somebody who I've connected with through some committee work or through um, some PD or some you know workshop that we've attended together. And so like getting to go see people in, in person who you've maybe met in another space and like setting aside time for sitting and having coffee or setting aside time for, you know, hashing out some ideas with somebody is very different than just sort of running from session to session. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would say like over the years for me, if there's a session that really lights me on fire, you know, it's usually somebody I want to know more about or somebody I haven't met yet. But I, I feel like for me at this point, you know, after 40 years in education and, you know, various phases of conference going um, for me, I just, I do love to seek out people and have those conversations that you can't have that I might not see that pe- person for another year, you know, and I really either admire, like you said, a newsletter, a podcast they do, or, you know, just something I've heard them talk about and then have been able to follow up with them over time. And, um, it's a really good stuff. So I'm glad mm-hmm. you're kind of evolving in your conference, um, planning, Cause I think mm-hmm. the relationships are really important too, because there's lots of great people out there doing stuff that I think we're better together. All of us in, um, in learning it's a social, it's a social kind of thing. And like, even as you know, you think about going to AESA, which was one of the conferences you went to and how you got to actually interact differently with people from our own IU that you don't normally get to interact with. Right. Yeah, you have to go to Atlanta to yeah. get to know the people that live down the road. <laughs> I say that but, all the time because, like, I Deanna lives. Deanna Mayers from CPDLF lives ten minutes away from me, and I see her in Hershey most frequently. Well, and it's just like a, it's just a pause too, where everybody isn't on their computer, and so people who normally may even sit next to each other, metaphorically or literally, can sort of um, just look up and have some time to chat and. You're spending more hours together. and But I wanted to share with you something that kind of um, really touched me, motivated me, inspired me, because I feel like, mm, yeah, I was emotional at the very beginning of one of the conferences, and I was caught off guard by that. It was the opening ceremony of NREA, the National Rural Educators Association. And um, we were all sitting face with very typical opening ceremony. We're at big round tables. There's a stage up front. We're waiting for, you know, whatever, somebody's going to come up and announce and make thank yous to the, 
you know, sponsors and all the stuff you expect. And we hear this drumming from the back of the room and the whole room gets kind of quiet. And then everybody starts to rise and stand. And there was a group of individuals that was coming from the back of the room and and drumming and walking up to the front of the room, coming up on stage and then chanting. And then ultimately one of them came up to the microphone and spoke and the opening ceremony began not in English, but in Menominee. And I had to go ask, I went and like checked my pronunciation afterwards with somebody. So Menominee is an Algonquian language. It's a endangered language native to what is today the United States. And um, it's of course local and regional to Green Bay, Wisconsin area. And so they had a local tribe and some of those leaders come and kick off with this, with that ceremony. And it was really impactful for me. Um, I think because it caught me so off guard with my preconceived conceptions, like I was prepared for a national rurals educated conference to be a lot of people who look and think, and maybe are somewhat similar to me. And I'm rural. I grew up rural. I live rurally. And so just to be reminded, like the diversity of the United States, the United States is so large. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many different you know, landforms, geographies, climates, histories, cultures, that what it means to be rural is different in the South than in the Northeast. It's different again in the West. Um, And so I was caught in my own internal little moment of sort of like shame or awareness that, you know, your assumptions were were wrong. And thank goodness they were. Like, it's always good to have your assumptions be challenged, right? Um, And... I guess that brought me just to this broader, I think that happened on a different scale at ACTFUL and then in a different way again at AESA that you go into any given learning experience thinking like you know what that organization stands for, what that group, who that group of people is, and just that there's a diversity of thought in each of those spaces beyond what you would initially expect. Right. And I think um, the whole idea of creating those social constructs, you know, or you know, defining an organization based on our own experience is often what we do and, you know, kind of gets us into a little bit of trouble sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we make assumptions that, you know, aren't based in anything factual. Um, So I think, you know, that that's something I think across the greater, the greater like humanity is, is something to think about, you know, it's not just that the construct of a conference, but also, um, you know, the makeup of the kids who show up in our classrooms, you know, who those people are, those young people are, you know, we make these, you know, assumptions or judgments about who their parents are or why they do or don't show up at conferences, why they do or don't participate, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's this larger construct of, of really kind of trying to put ourselves into other people's shoes. And, most of us as educators are white, middle-class, have some education um, in mostly white, middle-class institutions as well. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that's, um, that's something to kind of think about, you know, as we navigate. So that really, when you talk about that, that made me think about, you know, all the ways that we need to think about how we educate kids and, you know, like as these young people come in and you know, they don't maybe want to quote unquote learn or be taught necessarily the things we're looking to teach them. Well, the deputy secretary of education at AESA, when she spoke, she said, 
one of her like prompting questions for educators was, how are you making people curiouser and curiouser? I think that I'm quoting her. I think that's who I'm remembering said that. Mm -hmm. And I just, I liked that because that word, that phrase curiouser, it's almost actually hard to say curiouser and curiouser. But of course that little phrase, because it's sort of just funny and unusual and stuck with me. But um, that's just a great question to ask. Like, you know, you said whether or not kids want to learn or be taught, like when we are choosing the content and then we're delivering the content and we're testing on the content that we chose and delivered, we're probably not making people curiouser and curiouser. Um, You know, like I saw Dr. Butler's newsletter this morning had that chart that was like, you know, schooling versus learning. And one of the things about schooling is that it's often starts with the search for answers. And one of the things about learning is that it starts with the search for questions. And so um, I think you know, I, I was caught in my own, like realizing that I had that, like I said, preconceived notion and really what I should go to any new learning experience with is like a series of questions rather than a set of things I already think I'm going to find or that I'm looking even necessarily looking for. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's really interesting because over the weekend we had a family party and, you know, so I, you know, went down to Philadelphia and one of my great nieces somebody asked her if she likes school and she goes no I hate learning I said you mean you hate learning or you hate school and she was just like no I hate learning and I thought "Ooh, I'm not going to go down that road like like the difference kind of between you know and they said well what do you like about school and she was like oh I like my friends you know and there's learning in that right I mean we we give this idea to kids that learning is only about the subjects that are in front of them you know, or this mandated curriculum that we deal with. So I think that's that curiouser and curiouser um, because there was another, somebody um, at one of the conferences I was at recently talked about that too, like the curiosity. And I can't remember, they had like three words. It was like, but I, I don't know, somewhere in my notes, but, but curiosity is, is really, um, the precursor to teach to learning and learning doesn't necessarily always have to happen in a school or, you know, in a classroom. Um, and I think that's, you know, another important idea, you know, just like I think the misconceptions around work from home, work doesn't always have to happen in an office. Um, accomplishing something doesn't always happen to have, have to be at your desk or your computer. You know, you can work in other ways know in relating to people and networking etc so i think they're we just have another i have another nugget based on that just sparked for me based on what you just said i hope i can find it at aesa i'm just like throwing out my conference names here um i can't find the little piece of quote paper but we got this um went to a little session where we got a magnifying glass and i'm holding it up right now and it had a little quote hanging off of it as well And um, it was about the power of reflection. Mm. And the quote is something like, um, effective action is followed by careful reflection, which leads to more effective action. I may have my adjectives off, but it's that idea. And it's, it was sort of one of those like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I'm supposed to be reflecting, you know, like a reflective practitioner, a reflective leader, like it's even in our I think it's in our rubrics for like our assessments, you know, of ourselves as leaders and whatever the case may be. But um, honestly, it was a really effective teaching tool that she gave us these little magnifying glasses because 
at first it seemed a little hokey and then I threw mine in my bag. And then when I got home, I threw it on my desk and it's laying there and I keep seeing it. And then it got paired for me with this piece of research that was shared. That's very concrete because that's very abstract, right? The research is, you have to see it visually. I'll describe it a little bit, but basically they did a study where they put an EEG cap on people's brains, right? On their heads so that they're picking up the electrical signals that their brains are putting out. And then they had them attend four meetings, the same meeting, same length of time. They had the one group attended the four half hour meetings back to back. So it was two hours and they were done. And then the other group, they had them attend four half hour meetings, but they put 10 minutes in between each one. Right. And then they looked at, I'll show it to you. And we'll have to just describe it. You can put it in the show notes. They looked at, and you of course can't even see it on here. The brain, the brain signals of those different experiences on the top, you know, your brain is blue. It's kind of relaxed for the first meeting. It just gets red and redder as you sort of go along. And in the bottom, they attended the same number of meetings, but their brain stayed at the same level of like calmness. And that's like, that's Um, attentiveness too. When your brain is that like on fire. Like you're yeah, you can't be taking in new information. You can't be making careful decisions. So right. it's honestly inspired me to try to put 10 minutes in between. And I think it, it, 10 minutes in between things that I'm going to do, because I think when we're sitting at our desk and we don't have to walk anywhere, that's one of the they talked about how like in the past you used to walk between meetings. So you had five or 10 minutes automatically built in because right. you had to go to a new room or whatever. Right. Um, now it's like click, click, but now you just end one and you open up the next. Sometimes I have two devices and I'm opening one up before I'm ending the other. Right. And so then paired with this, which was a different session paired with the magnifying glass and the reflection comment, thinking about why is it that your brain, I mean, there may be chemical reasons, obviously that Aaron could tell us about, but that 10 minutes in between allows for that kind of like reflection, at least a little bit to happen organically. Mm-hmm. And it can't happen if you're going from one thing to the next. There's no, there's no space for reflection. So if reflection is so important that we're going to say it's part of our rubrics for how we assess ourselves, you know, we have to build in intentional practices and times for that. So, yeah, um, I think it is really, it's, it's super important. I think also just, and we try to get folks to do it for kids, you know, greet them when they come in the door in a day. And um, I think, and I try not to do it, but I know I fall into the same trap, but the whole idea of when you come into a Zoom room and you don't do like a temperature check and see how people are. Hey, how's it going? How's your day? How's your family? You know, how's your weekend? You know, just given a few minutes to let people be the human beings that they are coming into the room. I think those kinds of things are super important, like to know a little bit about each other, to be able to empathize, you know, I think also helps people um, to be able to attend to a meeting. Like, so, you know, if I knew that you had a doctor appointment with your child coming up and, you know, you, you know, you're going to be thinking about that appointment. So how do I like let you put that on the table and say, okay, it's in this box right now. Cause people know that this is on my mind, you know, you know, or all kinds of things that, that kind of happen, you know, in our lives that I think it, it's one of those constructs that, you know, we just assume people like, check themselves at the door when they come to work right like all the school yeah or school and make themselves human you know all the things that make us human we bring with us you know well that got me thinking about like schools that have two and three minutes between bells like if your brain is actually like that going from one meeting to the next like that's what we're doing with students when they go from class to class so then I was like oh what if you had 10 minutes in between class and I'm like well my goodness that would be a management issue you'd have all you know just have like 
craziness in the hallways. And so then my like, you know, fixed mindset comes in. I'm like, ah, oh, you can't do that. I give them 10 minutes. to. But then what if you still got into your next class? Teachers didn't like just start with the objective in the first 30 seconds. Like we have this whole like bell ringer do now objective. And I appreciate the benefits of those. And I wonder if you said first five minutes of class is not for academic content. If you, if that was something you're still going into that space, maybe, you know, but collecting yourself or reflecting on what you just learned. What if a bell ringer was like, Hey, tell me something you just learned in your last class. Like I've never done that. I've never, I've never, I don't even know what class my students are coming from. I've thought right. it just doesn't matter what they're coming from. Now they're in Spanish, you know? Well, I mean, and I will say you're, you're talking about that, you know, very small fixed mindset that you have, because most of you is not fixed mindset at all. But one of the things that I think about over time that I've learned is we don't trust kids. We do not trust that young people, you know, the children that come to us want to learn number one. And I think they don't at a certain point because we've squashed the curiosity. We've got, you know, we don't make them more and more curious. Um, and so I think a 10 minute in between, like it would make for a longer day maybe, but, um, you know, and if we weren't like working for bus schedules, you know, to create and build some buffer time in between, I think if you look at schools in Europe, I mean, there's a much more flexible open campus kind of situation. I remember when I moved out to California, it was like, there was kids were outside in between classes. The classrooms didn't have hallways. They were, you know, built in ways that kids went out the door into the outside and they hung out in a courtyard and then they got to their next class. They got fresh air. Actually, they were walking, you know, moving like, so I I think we do, we get these constructs of what, because, you know, we're from Northeast PA and it gets cold and all the buildings have, you know, so all the lunch has to be in the cafeteria. Nobody can eat outside because, you know, God knows all the kids are going to run away. Right. They're going to leave because we're so boring. We have to like hold them in. Right. Like, Anyway, just a little off track there, but back to conferences. Back to conferences. Back to conferences. Well, um, I guess the other cool thing, if you, if I'm going to try to make a bridge, is like if you do allow yourself that space in between, like I didn't used to do that with sessions. If you do allow yourself a little bit of space in between, like I was standing in a very long line for coffee at Actful. Cause like, imagine trying to get 6,000 educators coffee each morning. Like I don't have that alone as an operation, however they do that. Um, but, and the person behind me in line was a very, very interesting, very qualified individual. And um, we had like a long time to talk because we had a long coffee line. And so I took advantage of the opportunity. She's far more, far more qualified, you know, in her current stage of her career than I am. And so I felt like I had a lot to benefit from and said, Hey, can I have your, you know, your information? And we shared information. And then I messaged her when I got home, which I never used to do that either, Pat, and was like, Hey, um, can we have another coffee date, but this time, you know, on zoom. And we did just a couple of days ago. And it was so, we talked professional, we talked personal, but I just think that if that relationship continues, even if it doesn't, those two little touch points like happened because of the space in between things, right? Yeah. The waiting in line for the first thing that you look at and you're like, oh my God, a line. And then actually like the line, like just connected me, this really legit person who would not have stopped to talk to me had we been running through really quickly, you know? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And I think also that like brings up for me, like how 
we demand instant answers, right? You know, and then when we don't get an answer from somebody right away, we think like, oh, well, we're not worthy of their time or we've offended them or, you know, when in reality, it's like, you know, different people are on different pages and have different capacity to answer the questions, I think, or, you know, even connect. And sometimes maybe they'd be too busy for like our little lives, but well, you have to um, say no to some things too. Yeah, like I think exactly. I'm, working. I'm just, okay. yeah, just exploring that too. I guess a lot, there was a lot, a lot, as I'm sharing some of these reflections, I'm realizing there was a lot about self-care. And I think that that has been like a well-deserved, but like um, sort of popular shift in some. And in fact, there was even a comment made at one of the sessions that was kind of like, oh, we had to all travel to another state and stay in a hotel room just to tell each other that we should like pause, and take a little more time. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like some of these very basic things that you're like, I know, I know I should be, I should be taking 10 minutes in between my meetings or I should be building in this kind of, but I should be reflecting. But um, it does take, it, it's hard. Like it's one thing to say it. I'll say, um, try to think if I've actually like implemented any of this or if I'm just talking about it. I think I've, I've gotten a little clean. I'm doing a little bit around buffering time in between meetings that maybe I wasn't before. Um, I think there's one or two times where I've like left something that I would have kind of let drag a little longer where I've been like, okay, I got to go. But you have to kind of ask yourself or have an accountability partner because here I am talking about it and I'm not, you know, it's hard to name like like, the changes you've actually made, but it's powerful to see like actual brain science be tied to it. And I do think, I mean, I went to sessions about language pedagogy and I went to sessions about, you know, rural demography but a lot that a lot of the talk was just about at all three of these, even though they were really different demographics of teachers, all of them was about, were about um, that self-care piece, that managing your time, work-life balance. That seems to be something that's really out of whack for a lot of educators and to the point where it's rising to the surface enough that um, whole sessions and whole conferences and whole apps like whole things are being built around that. Right. You know? right. And I think, I, I mean, I really think that that's something that, you know, that's a larger, big problem in education. Number one is that, you know, we ask educators, not just administrators, but teachers, paraprofessionals, bus drivers, social workers, you name it. Anybody who is working in the field of education is asked to do and be like everything to a school community, to kids, to children. And, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that I, I think about, and um, I know I sent you and Aaron and Lauren a podcast that Chris Davis gave me um, to listen to over the weekend. It was John Stewart talked about the problems of education and talked to secretary Cardoza, right. And, um, you know, and some of the things like any podcast or any you know, like our podcast, there's probably some things people agree with and some things they don't, you know, as they go through there, but hopefully it's a challenge to your thinking. And, um, I'd love to like jump into that in the next, you know, couple weeks as I think yeah. I'll listen to it. And really, I'd love to respond to John Stewart and say that, because I, I do believe one of the things he was hitting on is that, you know, we're trying to cram too much into a short period of time and we're not, giving kids what they need right Mm -hmm. so how do we give kids what they need as educators um and how do we how do we honor the hard work and 
and the value. I mean, I think there's a value question there too, like that we don't value um, necessarily what educators bring and how much they impact our young our young people. So um, I think it's so awesome to hear. I mean, three conferences we could be talking for hours. Um, yeah. So and I think you know that does bring us kind of to the end for today. So I don't know if you have <sighs> other ideas or other things that you want to like make sure you get in. Cause you know, you know, you're going to be back on this podcast with me again. So we could, yeah, well, there's so much nitty gritty. Some like- nuggets. Cause you did talk to me earlier about Buffington's buff nuggets and um... yeah. Shout out to him. His name's Brian Buffington. Um, he has an email list that you can get on. He works at an ESA at an educational service agency and um, probably almost everybody who attended the conference would know who he is because he's the kind of person who makes himself known, whether by wearing like a neon colored um, blazer, uh, handing out like emoji stickers of himself, like, which sounds all very self-promotional and it is, but he's very pleasant. He's very enthusiastic and he lifts up other people. Um, he's an educator at heart. Like he's, he's a middle school teacher. So I okay. think, you know, if you know those types yeah, of wear neon and give stickers. Yeah. So he's doing those things. Um, but he's doing them now for teachers. And um, so he would just be somebody to shout out to. I'm still like, I'm just starting to learn from him. I'm on his email list. Um, and we heard, uh, I think Lauren talked about it. Um, the keynote at Actful was um, Jose Andres, yeah. who did a really beautiful job. Um, he's a chef, so, you know, not an educator by like the traditional definition, but he talked about making the table bigger. That's his thing. Like, how are you making the table Make longer? The table longer, yeah. Is the table getting longer? Is it getting longer? How, you know, how are you, where are you adding those extra seats from? Who's sitting at them? And that image is powerful, I think, for teachers. Um, Cindy Martin is the deputy secretary of education. She's Miguel Cardona's deputy. She talks about positive deviance, like find places of positive deviance, shine a light on them and lift them up. Um, positive deviance. Deviance is anything that's different from the norm. And then positive, it's making things better. So like, don't notice all the ways that that normal things are going well, that's fine. But like, find those places where somebody's doing something that hasn't been done, because that's what needs to be replicated. Um, So just lots of those are like a couple little nuggets. And then the last one on the, I think our theme today was like about reflection and giving yourself time. I don't know that that's what we intended our theme to be. But right. So This was a story that was told. There was a woman at AESA who had been observing a classroom. And so she went into a kindergarten classroom and she did what good educator observers do. You ask the kid, the student, what are you doing in class today? What are you learning? So she said, what are you doing in class today? And the five-year-old said, I'm metacognizing. And she said, oh, what is metacognizing? And he said, I'm thinking about my thinking, miss. So... (laughs) If five-year-olds can sit and think about their thinking, you know, maybe we could take a little more time to think about our thinking from time to time. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. This is great. This is our podcast. We do this every day and we do this every day because we absolutely love making sure that learners have what they need. We're a very learner-centered driven organization. If you need world languages, calculus, chemistry, I also think that if you need just any substitute. Think about courses like Latin, Chinese. Um, They could offer great experiences for your kids when you can't find a sub 
for other subjects. So thanks for joining us today. We'll look forward to seeing you soon um, and have a great week.